Here's your question for the day. Do you have a fatal flaw? You ever heard that term before? A fatal flaw? It comes from old Greek drama tragedy where there's your main character who has this character trait that really is kind of their, um, their pitfall. It's their Achilles heel, if you will, where this thing about them leads to bad decision-making and terrible choices in their life to where their marriage ends, their kingdom is lost, their life ends. It's a tragic, deadly flaw. Do you have a fatal flaw? Maybe yours isn't that dramatic, but maybe it's no less traumatic for you. Do you have a pattern of decisions and a cycle of behaviors that continually manifest where you lead to bad decisions? And it's what causes you to hurt yourself and to hurt other people, many of which you claim to care about. What's the root cause that's beneath the surface that causes you to ruin your relationships? Now, I'm always stoked every time we get to gather. I love coming up to preach, but I am really excited about this series that we are starting today called The Seven Deadly Sins, The Seven Loving Acts, because this is a fatal flaw that we have experienced since the Garden of Eden that was put into kind of this category for over uh, 1,600 years. In the fourth century AD, a monk named Evagrius, he put down these eight um, deadly thoughts these thoughts that he wrote for other monks so that they could improve and level up their relationship with Jesus because they were barriers between living the way that God would want us to. In the 6th century, Pope Gregory I, maybe you've heard of him, Gregorian chant, that's where we got that from, uh, he adapted the 8 to 7 uh, thoughts, evil thoughts, because he was doing a commentary on the book of Job. And then you fast forward almost a thousand years later to, I'm sorry, 700 years later, where a famous theologian named Thomas Aquinas, he put it in his summary of theology or his um, Summa Theologica of the seven deadly sins that we now have today, the seven deadly sins. Show of hands, how many of us have ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Anybody? Okay. So these mortal or capital sins is this condensing of what is these fatal flaws and sins that stand between us and our relationship with God and hurts our relationships with one another. On the count of three, just to see if you know any of them, right? Good teachers, you start out to see where they are. And at the end of the series, we'll have a quiz to see how you guys remembered. So just right now on the count of three, you just say one of the seven deadly sins that you know. Okay. Understand? Online, put it in the chat. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh my gosh, that's so good. You guys know I'm here. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you them, okay? Anger, lust, pride, greed, gluttony, sloth, and envy. I know envy is a struggle for you now because you're all looking at my shoes and there's a lot of envy in this place today. I'll pray for you. The Apostle Paul, he taught that there is a reality of sin, that all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. But here's the good news, this is the gospel, is that Jesus Christ will restore and redeem and repurpose the sins you have in your life for his kingdom and his glory. We don't have to be bound by these deadly sins because Jesus has freed us to make us his own. And these brilliant minds of the church age, 
they came to the conclusion that these seven particular sins are kind of at the root of all of our sins. Now, this is not a made up list, but it's a list that's made up of sins we learn about all throughout the scriptures. And these sins, they do kill the body, but they also kill the soul. And they also will kill our relationships with God and with one another. The two most important commandments God gave us, love God, love people, are killed by these sins. Now, it's not hopeless, nor is this pointless, because Jesus gives us hope and he points us to himself in order that we can find these loving acts that counteract these seven deadly sins so that we can be Jesus' light and love to the world that so desperately needs it. So before we go on, let's just pray real quick. Abba, Father, this is yours. Take it, do with it, whatever you want. Get me out of the way and let your Holy Spirit speak loudly and clearly so that all of us are changed by you. In Jesus' name, everybody say, amen. Like Pastor Jason said, today, our deadly sin we are going to dig into is anger. Now I want y'all to say the word anger, but I want you to say it at me angry. Okay, you can use angry face emojis in, online. Okay, so on count of three, give me your angry, angry, right? One, two, three. Some of you are scary. Anger. Right? Or sometimes it's referred to in the seven deadly sins as wrath. And in the scriptures, wrath and anger isn't just about being mad. Mad is not angry. Angry is not mad because mad often happens when we don't get our way. As a parent, I am well familiar with mad because you didn't get what you wanted. And so I'm a bad guy. So now you are mad at me because you didn't get what you want. But anger is different. It's defined this way, a retribution punishment for an offense or a crime taken into your own hands. That's anger. Don't get mad, get even. Anger gets even. You hurt or you offended me or someone that I care about. And my response to that is that I am going to bring about justice in this moment and intentionally inflict harm on you because somebody has to right this perceived wrong. And now mama's in here, mama bears, you get this, right? Don't come after my kids or you're gonna get the claws. It's gonna come out and you will rue the day, right? Mama wrath, it's a thing. But sometimes our greatest anger issues, and maybe some of you battle anger, or you know somebody or care about somebody who does, comes because people we care about are hurt and we're not sure we can do anything to help it. We don't like how they're treated. We don't like how they're spoken to. And for some of us, many of us, this may feel natural. We want to come to the uh, safety of somebody else, the defense of somebody, but in doing so, we want to hurt the person who hurt them. And this seems right, and this seems like the way of the world. But that's the crazy thing about the kingdom of God, is it's not like that. Part of being a Jesus follower, we're part of his kingdom. And if you read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life, how he lived, how he taught, you see that this wasn't the thing. Jesus says, if somebody wants to sue you and they're angry enough and take your coat, you're to give them your clothes, your outfit too. If if somebody says, and a soldier says, carry my armor for a mile, he says, I'll carry it too. If someone smacks you across the face, and this was a, a huge offense in the Jewish people, you're to, and if you've never been in, 
in, in the church, maybe you've heard this phrase before, turn the other cheek. And what he's saying is that you, you take the, the hit and then you just kind of put your face back, kind of like Rocky Balboa style, give him the other cheek and say, what do you got? That seems so backwards to me. You should be angry, right? It's kind of like upside down. If you're stranger things, people, it's like living in the upside down where anger is different because anger is a fatal flaw. It's a deadly sin. But maybe you push back for a moment. You're like, Jeremy, what about righteous indignation? Didn't Jesus flip over tables for them selling sacrifices wrong? Didn't he call the Pharisees whitewashed tombs? Of course he did. Because when people that should know better choose to violate an agreement and a covenant that they agreed to and they break it and you are perfect and you are God, you get to do whatever you want and be angry. Do you know why? Because he's God. He's perfect. He is flawless in him. There is no darkness. Darkness is as light to him. He's not accountable to you or me or our standards. He's God. His standard is perfection. So when we get out of step or we mishap in our behaviors, that's what sin is, right? It's an archery term. It means you missed. When we miss, he has every right to be angry because he doesn't matter because he's God. That's what happened to the people of God. We read in Numbers 32, 13. It says, the Lord was angry with Israel and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation that sinned against the Lord sight, they died. So here's the thing. He delivered them from slavery because he loved them and was faithful, was gonna be faithful to his promise to Abraham. But then when they rejected him and sinned against him, he had to judge them. That's why the Jews, we just talked about this the past few weeks, were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. It's not because he was unfaithful, but because they didn't hold up. They disobeyed. They made him angry and he can be angry because he is perfect. You missed the mark. And that's what's so cool about Jesus. Jesus takes the wrath of God on himself for us. And you see this expectation through the life that Jesus lived through the gospels and how he taught and the things he did. We see this one scene where James and John, he called them the sons of thunder. They had been in a town and the Samaritans had rejected Jesus's message and they were so angry. They wanted to call fire down from heaven and just burn them all up. And Jesus says, no, that's not how my kingdom handles that. We don't get angry. Anger isn't my angle. And there was the, in the garden, the night Jesus was arrested, Peter got mad and angry and he sliced his sword and he cut off a man named Malchus's ear. He was a servant of the high priest. And Jesus doesn't be like, yes, no. Jesus says, stop. And he heals the ear and he says, that's not how things are in my kingdom. Don't let the hurt, the fear, the pain that you've experienced leads you to want to hurt and give pain to somebody else. It isn't just I'm trying to stop the pain, the hurt, the thing that's being done, but now I'm trying to inflict pain and hurt on somebody else. Now, I am not talking about not defending yourself. I'm not talking about not sticking up for yourself or other people. I'm not saying you should be a pacifist. I'm not saying that Jesus was a pacifist. I'm saying that you shouldn't let your hurt be the motivator to hurt someone else. That's anger. Anger takes judgment and it wants to hurt somebody else who hurt you. Because you're afraid. 
maybe you know this, hurt people hurt others. And we lash out, and sadly, so often, it's the people that we know and we're the closest to that are often the recipients of our anger because we know how to push their buttons. It gets hotter because the pain is deeper because they should know better. (laughs) They know how I feel. Why would they do that? Why would they say something like that? I thought they cared about me. Why would he do that? I thought he loved me. Familiarity can make the blows fatal. When it comes to anger, familiarity can make the blows fatal. For you, maybe it is just a tense moment that came out of nowhere, but so often it is this idea of building over time. That's where anger starts to happen. It isn't just I'm mad. Now I'm mad and afraid and I'm hurt and I'm all these things for an extended period of time. And then you blow up. And once you blow up in anger and that bomb goes off, there's collateral damage everywhere from anybody in the blast radius and you can't get it back. Once it's out there, it is there, which is why anger is a fatal flaw and a deadly sin. The Apostle Paul, he writes about relationships in a lot of places in the Bible, but one of my favorites is in the letter to uh, the church in Ephesus. In chapter 4, he talks about how do we keep unity in relationships, unity in the church. And the first step he says in 422 is throw off your old sinful nature those deadly sins, that former way of life. Get rid of it. Get rid of the things, those deadly sins that you embrace uh, blindly that bind you. Those habits that you have developed over your lifetime that just keep wrecking your life and wrecking your relationships. Do you ever see that in people? Do you ever see that in yourself? That fatal flaw. Verse 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. I've done enough study through this topic to believe that each of us has a natural bent towards at least one of these seven sins that the devil likes to manipulate specifically for you to steal, kill, and destroy your life and your family. We spent six weeks earlier talking about how we do not war with flesh and bone, but against dark forces, evil spirits in the unseen realm that are always coming after you, that are coming after your family, coming after your marriage, using things like pride and selfishness and gluttony and laziness and greed just to feed whatever that sinful gap is inside of all of us. Now we have to prepare to be ready, but we don't have to be afraid because our God is supreme. He is bigger and stronger and better. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he implants the Holy Spirit into your life. So you're not doing this alone of your own will, but it's the will of God. It's the Holy Spirit's power in you that allows you to do these crazy things that Jesus calls his followers to do. You don't have to be bound by anger, You don't have to be bound by these deadly sins and these fatal flaws. And I like how Paul doesn't pull punches in verse 26. He says, don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now I'm sure none of us wanna have the devil giving us any attention. I just assume he does walk right on by me. But Paul says that when we let 
anger control our lives, we are giving the devil a footing, a firm foundation to attack us in a tug of war. Got those feet set right where he wants them. So it's really hard to pull him off and push him off. So when for you, a little barometer moment, how often do you think about how hurt you are and how often in that hurt do you wanna see hurt come to the person? Do you fantasize about them getting what they deserve? Do you hope something bad? And we all have been there. We're not perfect people. Anger. We want to get back at them and anger controls you. We use this verse a lot, that don't go down on, you know, sun go down your anger for marriages. Um, don't go to bed angry. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Lucy and I sometimes go to bed angry. Uh, not angry. I should rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. We can be upset at one another. Right, it's like we don't have to solve it that night or we wouldn't sleep a whole lot sometimes. So, but I think when I look at this, have you ever heard the term, um, the sun has set on that season? A season of tension, a season of not seeing one another, a season of wanting what you want. They deserve that, but love doesn't do that, does it? The loving act doesn't wish ill on them so somehow you feel better and justified. Love is different. So we go through this season and we remove it because a bad night does not equate a bad marriage. We don't want the the sun to set on a season because it may be, maybe it was an awful incident. And maybe for you, it was one you didn't know. It was somebody that wasn't in your life and it was just bad and it caught you off guard and wrong and you did. You got angry where you wanted to respond in hurt. But isn't it so often true um, when we're going through this with the people that we know in those relationships that there's this tension that builds over time and the hurt, the anger, the fear. Then there's betrayal. Then there's a lack of trust and everything is heating up, right? The water is getting hot. So uh, boiling water, it, it goes, at, anybody know the temperature? Anybody here? You know the temperature water boils at? 212, 212. So 212 degrees Fahrenheit, water begins to boil. But did you know the water's still hot at 211? Yeah, it's true. So at 120 degrees, if your skin is exposed to 120 degrees after five minutes of water, you could experience third degree burns. At 150 degrees Fahrenheit, two seconds in that water will burn you. A few weeks ago on Saturday morning for our our, our dues, donuts, and discipleship, I was getting coffee out of our machine and the coffee burnt my hand. Just coffee. And I had a red scar. I'm still flaking from that hot coffee burn. So it doesn't have to be boiling over in order to burn you. And what I'm trying to show you here is that just because you don't see the bubbles doesn't mean there's not something brewing under the surface. Because sometimes the anger we see blowing up, but what we don't see is the heat starting to get hot because we lie about it. We lie about it because anger starts with dishonesty. Anger starts with us being like, no, I'm good. No, I'm fine. Don't need to talk about it. We're good. Let's just move over, right? Which is why we're so big on authentic relationships here. Just real people in real relationships chasing after a real Jesus because anything else is evil. Dishonesty, deceit, they're of the devil. 
And it reveals itself in lies about how we're really feeling over time. And that just makes the waters that much hotter, which is why probably in verse 25, uh, Paul said this prior to that verse, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all part of the same body. Let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. That's what Jesus says, because anything else is from the devil. That's how he talks. That's not how we talk in the, the kingdom. Now, that does not give you permission to verbally vomit over anyone and everybody. No, nobody needs that. But you do need to have the freedom and the character that says, I need to share my feelings and how it feels in a way that doesn't have to attack the other person. You don't have to belittle someone to share what's going on inside you, because your feelings are real. And a healthy version of you is one that has your spiritual health, your physical health, and yes, your emotional health. Because they will eat at you and it will serve as a poison that will make you angry and bitter and cynical and it will cause you to want to hurt other people. And that's what anger does. I heard a pastor say recently that we often fight with our fists because we don't know how to communicate with our words. Because anger comes out of our mouths, our actions, our social media, our passive aggressive behaviors, because deep down we're angry inside. And we are angry inside because we are afraid inside. And we are afraid inside because we are hurt inside. And we're panicking because we don't know what to do and how to handle it. So when you see people who have anger issues or you know people or care about people, you are a person with anger issues, you need to know that deep down there is hurt. There is fear. Something happened to this person. And then their behavior follows. Uh, Verse 28, it says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Angry people want instant results to satisfy the wrong they feel. They think there's a a gap or a hole that's filled that like a long-term solution won't be good. I need it now. I need to get this off my chest now. I'm gonna just take this because I'm angry. I'm gonna hurt you because I'm angry. I'm gonna do whatever I do because I feel like I deserve my wrath to be satisfied. He goes on though, in in verse 429, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be what? An encouragement to those who hear them. If you hear nothing else today, I hope this resonates with you. Anger first manifests in your speech. If you're angry, you're going to let people know by what you say and how you say it. Because it starts in your heart and then goes to your mind. And then those heated words, that rhetoric comes out. We bombard everybody with it. One of our most touted inalienable rights in the United States as we celebrate Independence Day is the rights of free speech. But I think y'all know that there's not a whole lot free about our, our, there's the cost. It isn't cheap. And sometimes you will say anything and we can say whatever we want, but that also breeds a lot of anger in our speech. And when we are angry people who say something angry to somebody else, guess what they do back? They talk anger back. And it's coming from here. It's not coming from here or here. What you say in Luke 6.45 flows from your heart. And then I say it, you say it. And we see in Proverbs 15, 1, it says that a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Anger begets anger. And anger shows up because deep down, we're afraid that our values 
our safety, our voice, our future, our financial security, our kids, our grandkids, our jobs. They're all in jeopardy. And we don't know what we're going to do about it. I'm going to be pastor for the church here for a moment and just admit something we all know, and that is our country has been in a very angry place for more than a hot minute, but especially for the last couple of weeks in light of the Supreme Court ruling on Roe versus Wade. And I want you to think about this. Think about the hot water analogy I used earlier where 50 years of differing, strongly differing opinions and hurts and fears and insecurities on multiple sides and vantage points came to a boil. And what did we see in the wake? Anger, harmful speech, harmful actions, harmful words, anger brewed up to the surface. And what, here's what I want the church to know is that I, just for your pastor, <laughs> am I uh, for the life of every person in the world? Absolutely. Here's something that I want us as a church and as Jesus followers to always remember that every angry person has hurts and fears and something lies underneath that anger. And just because you don't agree and that's fine and we shouldn't, whatever, wherever you land, wherever you're watching, if you agree, disagree, I, what I want you to know is that there's a story and there is hurt, fear, and insecurity behind the anger. And every person, we have to wrestle with the fact that that is real and that is something that we have to, we don't have to agree with, but we do need to address that that is there. You don't have to understand it or agree with it, but we do have to acknowledge that angry people are hurt people and God loves them. And we need to figure out how for God to make himself more real. Anger is so deadly. It's a fatal flaw and it's so deadly for our unity as a church and as people. So we can't keep it around. So in Ephesians 4.31, he says this, says, get rid of it. All bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Anger often uh, manifests itself in bitterness and rage and rash and hurtful words and behaviors. Uh, we slander and intentionally try to hurt or defame other people. And we don't mind showing it. When we're angry people, we love showing the world that we're angry because it's not just like red cheeks and we're, we're mad, but it's kind of like, oh, it's like a balloon and we get our fists clenched up. We get to show everybody. And if I do this, maybe you feel sorry for me. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe we can be angry together because something bad happened and we're hurt, afraid, and panicking and we don't know what we'll do if it ever happens again. And maybe this makes us feel safe. This makes us feel ready for what comes next, but that's not how God works. He doesn't just help us figure out how to compensate with it, but he lets us find hope and healing to rem remove, restore, repurpose our hurts and our sins. And he gives us a new path. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So the loving act that gets rid of anger is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a loving act. And so that flips the switch, right, on our backdrop. Seven deadly sins becomes the seven loving 
acts. This is the heart of Jesus. It's the heart that he modeled for his followers, for each of us. Remember back to the worst thing that happened in human history, to the best person in human history, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is how Jesus responded in Luke 23, 34. He said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They were killing the creator of the world, not just to end his life, but to make him suffer and to humiliate him to the fullest extent. And the most powerful being in the universe, the creator of all things and all powers, he offered forgiveness and didn't let anger and wrath and judgment come out in that moment. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. But forgiveness is foregoing your right to judge somebody yourself and to hurt them back. It declares that I'm not the judge of your case. My mom always liked to say, I don't wear the robes, which means I don't sit on an elevated seat in a black robe with a gavel and determine your suffering because you hurt me. Now, that does not mean that they won't be judged doesn't mean they won't be judged in this life, but it most certainly means that they will receive judgment in the life to come. Romans 12, 19 says of this, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So if you believe the Lord and you believe the scriptures are God's words and his communication tool between him and you, then we have to try to apply what we learn, not because we're smart or driven, but because the Holy Spirit will live inside of you. And we admit that anger, like this red balloon that we carry around, is a fatal flaw. Now, we will get mad about things that affect us, but he alone can judge fairly and bring wrath that will perfectly just. And remember, being upset or mad is different than being angry. Because we got to watch out for anger because that standard from Jesus is really, really high. Matthew 5, 21 says, you've heard your ancestors. They said you must not murder, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, if you're even angry with someone, then you are guilty of the same thing curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Anger is a fatal flaw, but forgiveness gives you life. It's not because Jesus doesn't understand you, that Jesus doesn't know your pain and how you feel. It wasn't like he went to the Sermon on the Mount and said, let's just give them some stuff that will just be terrible for them to talk about a few thousand years from now. He knows that anger, those deadly sins are bad for you. I love how Mark Twain, he wrote it this way. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Anger. Or like another famous proverb on anger says, I am hungry, therefore I am angry. My daughter Telly said that. <laughs> Forgiveness isn't just about doing something for somebody else. Forgiveness benefits you. That's who truly benefits. I could give you several examples from my life of times that I have been angry and the Lord had to do a work in me. 
Um, I think of one time where my, my wife was in a job and her coworkers were making things really hard on her and she was coming home really, really sad. And I, I remember just fantasizing about just marching in there, telling these people off, going to her boss, getting them all fired, and then just being like, yeah, that's good. But that wasn't, I didn't feel like that was gonna be Jesus. So I didn't do it. And then I remember another time that my son was, was, was early on in school going through some bullying. And I just remember being like, oh, now I, I can't deal with these things because they're, they're not, it's not me. And so I had this fantasy of like going to this kid, like, knock it off, buddy. And then going to his dad, just getting right in the nose and be like, you know what your kid did. And I didn't. I didn't. He's lucky. I didn't. And can I just be, I'll be real for a moment. We were on vacation one time. This is so... You're going to think less of me. And we were going to an ice cream place. We were sitting there, families, and, and my kids walked over to, uh, you know, I had little kids, so they walked over. And, and I remember I just saw these people, and I just said, hey, oh, my gosh, it looks really delicious. What kind of flavor did you get? What did you do? And, and, and it was kind of like this really odd moment where, like, I don't think the dad was very fond of me talking to his, his children. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk, my kids were standing in line, and he decides to come up to me and just really obnoxiously, like, hey, what are you getting? What are you going to do? You're going to get that? You're going to be that? I was just, my balloon was coming out and I was just like, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Oh, but it did. I, I festered over that. I can't, I don't want to even admit to you how long yesterday I was still festering and it was years ago about how mad I was at this guy. And I fantasized about what it would have been like to tell him off. What would it have been like? Just been like, hey, kids, you know what? No, I, gosh. But as you process, you're like, why was I so mad? Why did I get angry over a guy being obnoxious? Probably because there was an insecurity that maybe I'm too friendly. Maybe people don't respond well to my personality. Maybe when I think I'm just being me, maybe... People look at it weird. And it breeds insecurities because I want to be liked. Just like a lot of you. I want to be accepted. I want to feel safe. I want to feel like my kids look at me and go, wow, that's my dad. And in that moment, just felt off. When you feel that anger and that insecurity brewed up, when that water goes from 2.11 to 2.12, you need to figure out why. What lies under the surface? Because forgiveness is an act, not a feeling. It's a choice you make because you recognize that Jesus forgave you. Colossians 3.17, or 3.13, I'll wrap up. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is for you. You forgive for you. It isn't so the world can see your balloon. You're doing this. You can release it. You can be free because of what Jesus Christ wants to do because he wants the best for you. First Peter 5, 7 says it this way. Give all of your worries and cares to God for what? He cares for you. You don't forgive because somebody else needs it to move on and have peace. You offer forgiveness and you do it regularly, even when it feels hard, even when it feels like you should be done by now because you need it. 
Because when you're clenched up, when you have a fist, you are limited on what you can do with it. And it doesn't affect them, it affects you. And that deadly sin of anger and wrath can be redone, repurposed, and you can let go of it through this loving act of forgiveness. Hey, hold on. We just heard Paul talk about getting rid of all of our anger and bitterness and rage. And that Greek word for that phrase, get rid of, is the word airo, A-I-R-O. And it means to lift up, to allow lightness and someone else to take it on. And so that's what we're going to do. We're not going to keep our fists clenched in anger and rage, but rather we're going to open them up so we are free to worship, to love, to serve, to give, and to hug people to offer forgiveness when it doesn't make sense because that's what Jesus did. And so this red balloon is serving as a symbol of that anger that a lot of us have held on to for way too long. And so we are going to get rid of Iro all this today and start that journey of forgiveness with the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love and grace and forgiveness that we didn't deserve. But Lord, we need your help to start forgiving other people as you have seen fit to forgive us. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to take a step towards you, to be more like you and less like us. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. All right, on the count of three, we are going to release our anger up to the Father. Are you ready, church? One, two, three. Let it go. Church, is that you don't have to hold on to that anger, that wrath, that bitterness that lies inside of you, but you can release that today. Our prayer team is gonna be out in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you. I'm gonna be up here. We'd love to talk with you about releasing that sinful life and giving it over to Christ. Don't forget about Jackson 5. Don't forget about Kona Vice. And don't forget to bring somebody with you here next week. God bless you guys. Happy 4th of July.